0: When we think of abundance, we think of it as something we want to get to. But in today's episode, you'll learn how it's already within you. More on that in episode 106. Welcome to the Her Money Matters podcast, the preferred podcast by many women across the globe to help you take control of your finances. Join me, Jen Hempill, a motivational money coach and your host each week as I share with you practical, simple money insights and real life stories by women like you. Let's do it. Welcome and thank you so much for joining me today. I'm officially back from vacation. It took me a little while to get back into the grind. My family, my boys and my husband, we went to Seattle. Uh, we hadn't been, well, my husband had, but we hadn't been to the Seattle area before. We also went to Vancouver. So it was a lot of fun. We had a really good time. Now, in today's episode, for those of you who have Really love the mindset piece of money. What is something that you really enjoy learning more about? Today, we're going to dig deeper into that. We're going to go into the psychology behind this. You will absolutely love this episode. In today's episode with our guest, she's going to share the story of the great job offer she received, why she turned it down and how it all went back to her upbringing and we're going to learn the stages of human development and why it should matter to you, the long-term impact a cross-country trip with her son and husband had and what she learned from it, and the definition of radical abundance and how we can benefit from it. So let me share a little bit about Sharon Spano, who is has a PhD in human and organizational systems. She is an author, corporate business strategist, workforce expert, professional speaker, and former radio host of Work Smart Live. Sharon empowers business leaders and entrepreneurs to maximize performance, improve employee engagement, and increase bottom line results. She is also a certified professional integral coach, dedicated to helping others adopt new paradigms about time and money so that they can step into radical abundance in every area of their lives. Her research focuses on wisdom, adult development, and leadership. Her work and her new book, The Pursuit of Time and Money, Step into Radical Abundance and Discover the Secret to a Meaningful, Prosperous Life, are grounded in research in adult human development. So, there's a lot of deep stuff today. I think you're really gonna love this episode. So, let's go ahead and meet Sharon. Welcome, Sharon Santa, to the Her Money Matters podcast. I am so thrilled to have you here and chat with you, get to know you and the book that you have written as well. I'm excited to dig into that. Are you ready to dig in?
1: I am, Jen, and thank you so much for having me. I'm excited as well because your podcast is absolutely awesome, so I'm excited to be a part of it.
0: Thank you so much. Well, Sharon, tell us a little bit about how you grew up around money. What did you experience? What did you see? What were some of the conversations you heard? Those type of things.
1: Well, it's an interesting question because it's one that I don't—I really have never thought much about until the writing of the book. And so, for me, I grew up in a a very poor family in the inner cities of Los Angeles. Uh, My parents were divorced, and so we were. um, My my father got custody of us for whatever reason, and we were brought to my grandmother's home, uh, and basically, kind of just deposited there, my sister and I. So here we were, these little towhead blonde kids in the inner city of L.A. And um, it, was, it was a pretty rough environment. I had a, a great upbringing, though my grandmother uh, was a great influence on me. But we never really talked about money. M- money was, I mean, it, it wasn't a family where you talked about it in, in terms of learning about the principles of money. What you heard was that we didn't have any. Um, and, and more importantly, what I heard that I, I didn't even realize impacted me until much later in my life was uh, my dad, who was kind of an absentee father, if you will didn't always pay the, the the money that was required for our care. Mm. And so I heard that a lot from my aunts, like we were the orphans, we were the charity cases, they, they didn't really want us there because they felt my grandmother favored us. And so it did have an impact on me in that, you know, later in my life, I would begin to see that there were stories, and again, some of them didn't really reveal themselves till I wrote the book, um, mm-hmm. not being enough, not being valued, that um, neither parent invested uh, time or money in, in me, and therefore, I'm not worthy. And so this has been um, a real interesting theme as I've seen it play out in some of my coaching and consulting clients as well, uh, and it was part of the impetus behind the book, was realizing how important these stories are and how they can push us into conversations of either scarcity or abundance. Uh, And we can talk a little bit more about that because the research is showing some interesting nuances uh, between those two ends of the spectrum. But basically for me, it was um, growing up without any awareness of what it meant to have money. and, And if you had it, how to manage it or care for it or be good stewards of it.
0: Right. And a part of it that you said was the lack of worth of your own worth, which, which must, you know, maybe you didn't get that message as a child, but you said that some of these messages didn't come across until you wrote your book, but that is a painful one, right? That's a a painful message to have on your shoulders or a big weight on your shoulders
1: exactly and I think you know what's interesting to me is of course as children we don't uh, process it in this sophisticated way that you and I are talking about it with our clients now but nonetheless it is impacting our subconscious mind and our and our paradigms you know and um, that's the exciting part of the work that you and I do I think is that we can open the conversation and break down some of those doors and help people step into uh, different perspectives different ways of being and, and different paradigms about uh, time and money and what it means uh, to access it and utilize it at the highest potential.
0: Right. No, exactly. So I know, and as I mentioned, I know you didn't see some of these uh, lessons later on to your book, but if you look back um, to like your education to when you started working, what were the effects of those lessons even though you didn't know them at the time of the impact of your childhood and the stories and the messages that you gained on your work, on your education, just in your everyday life. If you were to look back, what do you think, you know, what were some of the things that happened?
1: That's a great question. I think in the early years, when I go back, um, I was blessed always to have very good jobs. Um, I I had a good education as a child uh, because my my grandmother and her wisdom put us in Catholic school. That was the option in those days in the inner city or you were in public school, which was, you know, pretty much riddled with gangs. And I certainly probably no doubt would not have survived there a, a, a blonde haired toehead kid in in the midst of the gangs. Um, so I had a great education and and then I always had really good jobs because I I was educated and, um, so, but I know, I know when I think back, I had trouble and I think a lot of women do. And that's why I love the podcast and what you're doing is that, you know, we have trouble sometimes, I think, from a, a variety of reasons, asking for just compensation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or I can remember um, I worked for one of the most prestigious law firms in downtown Los Angeles when I was first starting out. And my boss got transferred and asked me to come with him. And I, I didn't believe that he really wanted to take me. You know, the wow. worthiness issues were so great. Mm-hmm. And so I turned down this great opportunity. And then years later, he was like, Why didn't you come? Like I so wanted you to come with me. And I said, Really? You you really meant it? And then, <laughs> and so here I was, you know, I was working for five attorneys at one time, just like killing myself, you know, working day and night. And I, I don't remember what I was making, but I can almost guarantee I wasn't making what I was worth because I didn't believe that I was worth much. You know, I was just Crazy. happy for the, for the work, right? Right. So those, those, are the, those are the ways that it can impact us. And and, and thank goodness I, I figured it out, you know, before I went down that path for too long. Uh, but it's, it's certainly one that I counsel my, my young nieces on and any of the younger women in my realm because I, I just don't want them to waste too much time believing that they don't deserve to have or be all that they could be.
0: Absolutely. And and I'm loving that I'm seeing the shift in that, especially for women. Uh, of course, maybe it's not as big as, as we would like it to be. And maybe it's because we're in that realm of work that you see a shift. So maybe mm-hmm. the the message is not as huge as I want it to be, but it feels like there is a shift. Again, maybe it's because I'm in it, (laughs) right? right, Right? right. Maybe it's because I'm in it, but I am loving seeing more and more people really becoming more aware because what I have noticed too is that especially with working uh, with a mixture (laughs) of uh, women that work in the corporate world versus women that are entrepreneurs, especially the ones in the corporate world, I see a in a ha moment where they never would have considered the mindset. They never would have considered those things because there's not that personal development education necessarily, uh, in the corporate world where in the entrepreneur world, that's what you, that's what you do. Right. So it's just, it's very, very interesting. Now your book is titled the pursuit of time and money, step into radical abundance and discover the secret to a meaningful, prosperous life. So tell us a little bit about why, why, how did this book come into being? Why did you decide to write it?
1: Well, the the, the famous story that I always share is I had an employee some years ago, and I think every every person who's had someone um, employed by them may have encountered a similar experience where I, I had brought this gentleman into the company. Uh, he was very very smart. He was a former CEO, and we had big plans for how he might break me into other markets, and I just could not get him to produce results. I mean, he couldn't get one client. He, he, just, he was great in certain more administrative ways, but he just couldn't get out there and make things happen in the way that we had agreed upon and that I had hoped for. And so one day in, in exasperation, we were at a conference where yet again, I felt like he wasn't getting it. And I asked the question, what do you believe about people who have money?
0: Mm-hmm. and
1: he his response was i believe they're uh greedy egocentric and oppressive hmm. And I remember in that moment, Jen, it was like the biggest aha, because I thought, well, no wonder I can't get you to make any money. Like, why would you want to be like those guys, you know? Right. And, and so it wasn't too long after that, that I realized, you know, I've, I've been putting a lot of time and energy into someone who really is sabotaging his, his own success. And so I, I, you know, ended that relationship, but it it caused me to be curious because I, I knew that in my corporate work, I was up against uh, scarcity perspectives a lot, sometimes, you know, beginning with the CEO. And um, so I just began to explore, like, you know, what's, what's the um, underlying premise behind some of these perspectives? You know, what's the root of it? And, of course, when I got into my doctoral work and, and began to research um, the stages of what we call human development, mm-hmm. it became more and more clear to me why why certain people can get stuck in paradigms and why others um, get out and, you know, have a different perspective. Like even even for myself, you know, growing up in, in an indigent family, I just can remember from as long as I can even remember thinking about anything um, that I knew I was going to have a different life and I was going to get out of this. Mm-hmm. Now, what, what was the source of that? I have no idea. But um, clearly the research tells us that some people can get stuck in their early developmental stages. We know that people in the earlier stages often have difficulty um, thinking of the future beyond a year, maybe mm-hmm. sometimes even less. Uh, if they're very early stage, I mean, unfortunately, those are often the people that we see in, in the prisons, you know, because mm-hmm. they don't have the capacity to see the uh, consequences of their acts. and Everything is immediate gratification. So you can imagine if I don't have uh, the capacity for futuristic thinking, even beyond the immediate, I'm certainly not using my time and money well then, right? So, mm-hmm. um, that's not what I see in corporate so much, but uh, 60% of of the U.S. work population lands in uh, stages that we refer to as expert and achiever stages, and so there are some limitations even within those those mid-range stages that impact people's perspectives on time and money. So one example I can give you is at the expert stage, which is where we often find engineers and financially minded individuals and people that are more technical in their, in their thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't mean to be stereotypical, but just as an example, um, they often can focus more on efficiency than effectiveness of the, of the stage beyond them. So you might, for instance, find an engineer who is so focused on the project, he loses track of time and money. He's not billing the hours that he's actually putting into it because he's so perfectionistic about the work itself, that kind of thing. Where someone at an achiever stage, they're going to be more proactive in terms of time and money as long as it's uh, relatable to their more immediate goals. And so it kind of goes on from from there. And so that's, again, part of the conversation that I'm trying to open up with individuals is uh, know where you fall in the spectrum between scarcity and abundance. Know your mindsets. um, But then also it's helpful to know your your stages of development, what stages, what we call the center of gravity for you. And how is it impacting your paradigms? And is there room to grow up or wake up into uh, different paradigms that might serve you and, and your family or your business in better ways?
0: Right. Now, I find these stages fascinating. So if you could tell us, so you mentioned, I think you mentioned two stages. Can you break down, can you, how many stages are there?
1: There are 12 that we There's know of. There's 12,
0: up, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they range from what you, the two that you mentioned. So can you tell us, I don't, I mean, I don't know if it's 12 of them. So <laughs> I'm yeah. trying to figure out like kind of like in a range. I, I
1: do go into them in the book in in mm-hmm. relation to time and money, because it's obviously a very complex conversation, but I was able to pare it down to where it's relatable. So the first four, the easiest way to think about it is those are your children up until the last uh, of the first four, which is usually, um, and they don't always correlate to age, but the first four do. So the the last stage of the first four, which we we talk about as the concrete tier, Mm -hmm. um, that is usually uh, maybe up to age 21 or so, depending on the individual. Then the next four, we get into more abstract thinking. And um, that's, again, where most of your workforce lands. And then the the final four are very, um, really like 1% of the population is up in what, what the one that we call the strategist level. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, most we we don't even know of people in the workforce beyond that because they're they're kind of like I'll just use the example of the Gandhis of the world. Mm-hmm. You know that they're not they're not really in the world um, because they think so differently and they're they're just kind of in a whole other stratosphere in terms of their consciousness because that's really what we're talking about is um, the meaning making systems of the individual and their their consciousness. Mm-hmm. So, so, for our purposes, most of the people that you and I see are in that middle tier of mm-hmm. the, the four stages. And as I said, 60% that we know um, in the United States workforce fall between the expert stage and the achiever stage. And they all have great things about them that serve uh, people within those stages of development. But then they all ha- also have what we call, you know, I'm sure you've heard this term in psychology, shadow sides you know there's a shadow piece that we and as we grow and develop up into the other stages if we don't do the work uh, to resolve some of those um, inconsistencies in our consciousness we kind of bring that shadow with us Mm -hmm. so so the example that I can give you with respect to my own story is um, I was very blessed to marry a man who lives in abundance and he invests time and money in me You know, a hundredfold, and he's he's really helped me step into much of who I am, probably most of who I am. But when I'm under stress, when I'm feeling insecure for whatever reason, uh, even though I'm very later, I'm I'm later stage, I will immediately uh, drop down into an earlier stage, and for me, that could encompass a lot of those same. Uh, scarcity perspectives of not being worthy enough or comparing myself to others or feeling like I don't have enough time, you know, and you know how we can all start feeling like we're chased by the clock at one moment or another. I'll, I'll, I'll revert uh, to some of those earlier paradigms of my earlier years.
0: And I find this fascinating because if I'm understanding correct, these stages, part of it is a part age, but not, but it's a part education, a part just, your way of thinking is that what I'm that's what I'm gathering from is that correct yes
1: yeah it's your meaning making system so so Mm -hmm. one of the examples that I that I use without without getting you know too depressing about all this is (laughs) I had a son um, with my husband I had a son with a very rare metabolic disorder Mm -hmm. and so Michael was born um, wound up being physically disabled all his life was supposed to live until Mm -hmm. the age of two so there were a lot of time and money factors in our life and pressure around insurance mm-hmm. and you need a new wheelchair and this and that and the other. Um, he lived until the age of 27. Wow. So I know other women who have lost children or who have had children with disabilities who internalize that in one way, you know, some, and, you know, they see the child as a blessing. Others maybe were just overwhelmed by it and had difficult, uh, difficulty coping with it. Um, you know, it's different for every person. And so the loss of a child is certainly a very significant thing. I mean, it, it it dramatically impacted our lives, Mm -hmm. but because of the work that I've done through the years um, developing what we also have, what we call lines of development. So there's 26 of those.
0: Wow! Um, Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you.
1: With my clients, I focus on six of them. Mm -hmm. And without even knowing I was doing this from the time Michael was born, I was developing these lines within myself really just to survive. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: when the time came for his passing, yes, it was a dramatic period of time. I had to take the time to grieve and mourn and all the things that we would typically do. But my meaning-making system was um, advanced enough, if you will,
0: Mm-hmm.
1: that i I put it in a different paradigm, and i I looked at it in a way that was um very healing for me personally is the only way that I can think about it and and that you know one of the one of the things I remember saying was well we were blessed to have him for twenty seven years um, you know, if I had to lose him, I, I feel blessed that I still have, I'm young enough to continue to do my work and contribute to other people and make a difference for other people. My husband and I started a foundation in his name to help other people with disabilities. That's so, wonderful. You, so you see, there's, and I'm not saying that if someone didn't do all that, it, it's, it's the wrong way to grieve. All mm-hmm. I'm saying is that there's work involved in developing ourselves to the later stages and some of us do the work more intentionally some of us grow into those places by happenstance often it happens when we're hit with adversity
0: right right. and we make
1: decisions I mean I think all of us have stories about something that happened in our lives and I made a decision to move forward or you know, maybe I didn't do so well with that, you know, and I self-medicated for 10 years before I snapped out of it. You know, it's different again for all of us. And it's not to say that any one way is the right way or any one way is the wrong way. Um, Again, my goal is to help people seeing that, to help people see that you have a choice.
0: Right, right. Well, I appreciate you sharing such a um, close story to your heart because I know, I'm sure that's still uh, tough to to talk about, but I appreciate that. And what I find so fascinating it here too is that it, it confirms everything that I'm teaching in a, in a different way, how a lot of people, when they focus on their money, they think it's just saving, saving more, spending less. And of course, I bring in the mindset, but you bring a different perspective too, which Which is so interesting because, and it, but it, if I think about it, it's just so very true. We all, uh, you know, life. We have life. Happens. We go into these different stages of life. Uh, We grow into the person that we we become, or we or we go to it in a different direction. And those, all those things at that moment in time, affect the decisions that we're making with money. It affects so many things. How we think about money. And I find it so fascinating, and I'm just so excited that you wrote this book. Now, part of this book, part of the title is Radical Abundance. What exactly do you mean by that?
1: Well, I'm I'm really going to the – much of what you just spoke to, Jen, in terms of – for me, it's about relationships – Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a a saying where your treasure is there, your heart is also. So, you know, I know one of the questions that you're always interested in is, you know, your best money memory. Mm -hmm. Well, if I look back as an example through Michael's life, I have a lot of horrific memories around time and money because we were under so much stress on on both areas. But my, my best memory, my husband and I have both been very successful. I mean, we have three businesses between us. Um, And I have had the cars and the houses and all those kind of things. But when I think about my best money memory, it is the memory of taking my son. Uh, We did a cross country trip um, when my husband was in between companies and we were going through litigation because something was embezzled from him and we didn't have the money for the trip. But my husband said we're going to do it anyway because we don't know how long we're going to have Michael. And we spent six weeks traveling uh, in a van with his his canine companion dog in a wheelchair and duffel bags from San Francisco back to Florida. And little did we know those memories would not only carry us after he uh, passed away, but it carried him through a four years of his you know his last four years he was critically ill. And he talked about those trips and so part of what we know is we made a really wise decision while we didn't really have the money we had the time and um, we created memory so for me radical abundance is about experiencing a meaningful life of joy and prosperity no matter what your circumstances are it's it's a mindset it's a place to come from not necessarily a place to get to as as i'm often heard to say interesting,
0: interesting. It's a place to come from, not a place to get to.
1: Well, and if you right? think about, yes, that absolutely. Powerful. That that's, powerful. that's like my favorite saying in the whole book, because, you know, when you think about people who live in, in very, um, indigenous uh you know environments where they're they're poor but but they're often very content maybe sometimes much more so than we are as americans as we're always striving for more 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 right mm-hmm. and um that that was a big lesson i i learned from my son is that sometimes we had more time sometimes we have more money but we always invested what we had in the relationship with mm-hmm. him because we it, it was almost like not knowing how much we had uh, you know because he was supposed to only live till 2
0: mm-hmm.
1: um made everything richer and um more meaningful so we celebrated a lot uh, you know i mean everything i celebrated you know everything but groundhog's day i think with him uh, because beautiful. every moment was precious
0: mhm and it's really so uh, what you said is just so powerful too that saying because It takes it to a level of belief, like that undeniable belief, um, and also a level of that it's already there. You just have to grasp onto it, right? So I love that. That is powerful, powerful. I love that you share that. And you've touched a little bit about this research, but what have you learned in your research uh, in terms of the difference between scarcity and abundance?
1: Well, uh, the the thing that was so fascinating to me, Jen, when we began to develop the the first survey, and I'm getting ready to do a, another round of deeper qualitative work. Um, but this first round, um, the scorings were pretty obvious around the, the ends of the spectrum, meaning scarcity versus abundance. Those were pretty clear. What surprised me was the moderate ranges. And by that, I mean Moderate scarcity can sometimes look like and be perceived as moderate abundance. So it often shows up as responsible, being responsible in the, in the mind of the, the person, in their own paradigm. So, so the example i like to use is the father who works very, very hard to provide for his family, and he's doing all the responsible things that he probably saw his father do which is work very long hours and bring home the bacon kind of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: he's so focused in being responsible and saving for the future for retirement or college that they don't enjoy the trip along the way. And I've literally met people who, you know, they've never been to theme parks or Disney world because their dad said, you know, we, we can't cause we're saving or they, yep. they never went on vacations. I'm sure you've seen this as well.
0: Oh, I've, ex- I've been that person. I've been that person. <laughs> my my husband, <laughs> I was that person.
1: <laughs> well, and I see this now in the baby boomer generation where, um, how much is enough, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of retirement, like this fear of I can't really do anything because what if we don't have enough at the end, you know, that kind of thing.
0: Right. Wow. That is fascinating. <clears throat> and as far as, time and money because that's like the big theme is how does that correlate to what we value most in life?
1: Well, I think it goes to a little bit of what I said earlier in terms of the first premise that I explored was the two being very much related to one another. And we say Mm -hmm. that in passing, you know, time is money blah, blah, blah. But um, I think it's a little bit deeper than that in that one of the premises that I explore in the book is I think part of our stress stems from the fact one that they are related, but two that they are um, they're abstract constructs at the same time that they're very concrete. And by that I mean, if you think about time, I mean you know I'm I'm leaving for London in in a few weeks, and so it's going to be a completely different time zone, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know we, we 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 understand the reality of that, but really it's it's so abstract on one hand, what does it really mean? Uh one of the things I noticed, for instance, when Michael was in and out of the hospital was how I could feel like I was there for months on end and yet there were days where, you know, it, it all went by in in a flash. You know, it's like I I felt like we we've only been here five minutes and yet ten hours had gone by. Mm-hmm. So so there's all these different elements and again goes to perception of how I see time and money. And understanding the relationship between them and understanding that nature of the abstract component of money, particularly to me being when you think about places like Las Vegas, you know, like I was just out in California. And so, you know, everything in the casinos are are geared to make you lose track of time and money. and lose all sense of reason and what it is you know now it's even more so because everything's digitalized it's not even chips anymore or you know in the old old days when they used to have actual real coins and stuff so all of those to me are factors that play into the psychology and our mindfulness around money that if we're not aware of some of those things and how they trigger us or or how we um, tend to ignore uh, what is happening around this, even in terms of the stimulation of, of what's happening, you know, in social media and the internet and how we're all being programmed, you know, with ads and, and, you know, I'm always amazed because I'm, I'm a Stuart Weitzman uh Person And they send me emails every single day and I open them every single day and then they send me another email that says, you, you forgot to buy the shoes. You forgot to put them in your little purple box, you know, and I have to really resist not buying a pair of shoes every single day because <laughs> I'm so, you know, they know my addiction. It's embarrassing that they, they oh, don't me. They know me this well that they're telling me I forgot my little shoes in my little purple box.
0: Yeah, oh, it's crazy how how advanced technology because that's like a retargeting method. Like when you're looking at something on Amazon, and all of a sudden it appears on Mm -hmm. the Facebook feed, (laughs) or all over it follows you everywhere you go. (laughs) Well, and 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 a lot of us have awareness of how
1: that technology works, but a lot of Mm -hmm. people don't, Mm -hmm. and and so it's just in front of them you know it, it's it's like you know waving your addiction in your face 24 7 if you mm-hmm. don't understand the, the the technology behind it it's it's easy to read it as a sign that i should really the universe <laughs> is telling me i need these shoes
0: oh that's that's funny well this has been fascinating uh sharon to say the least and when exactly is your book available
1: um it's available now on the time money uh, book.com forward slash HMM for her money matters. Um, but you, anyone can go to the website right now, the time money com, and order it. It won't be released till August 1st. Okay. Um, but we have some great resources on there. One is the Time Money Inventory that I mentioned that will help people see where they fall on the spectrum between um, scarcity and abundance. And it's all confidential and you get a great report. And then we also are offering um, the Manifesto on Radical Abundance that I wrote. And then there's a bunch of other resources on there that are linked to some of the reflective practices that we're offering in the book as well.
0: Perfect. So I'll be sure to have a link of that in the show notes. Well, again, this has been such a blast talking to you, Sharon. As you know, this podcast is about making money simple and taking control of it. So how would you finish this sentence? Her money matters because?
1: I think it matters because for women in particularly, um, understanding where we are in this business of, of time and money gives us a sense of control and stability that contributes to our capacity to step into radical abundance and really experience our true authentic selves.
0: Love it. Well, thanks for sharing that. Thanks for being on the show and I'm sure we'll connect again soon. Wow. That was a lot of good stuff, right? I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed chatting with Sharon. Now, Sharon really just scratched the surface of it all. It was good stuff. But if you want to dig deeper, there is definitely her book that you can get over at thetimemoneybook.com. I'll have a link in the show notes for you. And I absolutely loved her definition of radical abundance, and I'll talk about that more in a moment. But first, I want to give a quick shout out to Kelly, Erin, and Brittany for your suggestions on our trip, our family trip uh, to Seattle, to the Pacific Northwest. It was super helpful. I know it's nothing related to this episode, but I just wanted to thank you because I feel really blessed and grateful that I can just reach out to you and you so willingly help me. So I really, really appreciate all those suggestions. Great suggestions. I found a new favorite coffee place, so I'm excited about that, even though it's not here where I live, but that's okay. I got some coffee. I brought some coffee back. Now let's get back to radical abundance. She mentioned how her definition of radical abundance, it's a, that it's a place to come from, not a place to get to. So if you think about it, uh, we are always looking to reach these goals, to get to these goals, or to get to that ideal retirement, or to get to a place where we vacation more. And there's nothing wrong with that but we forget to, or we take for granted, I'm guilty. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm also talking, I'm talking to myself as well here. Uh But we take for granted what we have, what we have achieved, our wins. We just forget about those things and just we move forward to the next thing. And it's. I feel that it's so important to keep those things present and that the keeping of those things present and is really what radical abundance is, what she referred to as radical abundance, because when we have those things present where we don't move on to the next thing, looking to get to the next thing, but really, really, um, uh, keeping, I, I know I'm, I said present. I was trying to think of a better word, but really have that at the forefront of our thoughts of what we have achieved, our wins, what the things we have. That's going to make things so much easier to reach the other things that we want to have or achieve, and I hope that makes a difference for you because I feel I felt that definition was really powerful. I mean, sometimes when we look think to think of it, I'm like, yes, that makes sense, but it really hit home that day when when I spoke with her because it was it's something that I know for me personally, something that I have to continuously work on. Uh, And sometimes if I don't, that holds me back. So I hope that you find that helpful as well. And it's also one of those things that is easy to do because we can keep that present. We can do a gratitude gratitude journal, whatever it may be, but it's also easy not to do, (laughs) right? So uh, now I'm taking advantage that you are hearing me in your ear. Literally, right? To remind you of this because it's just so important and I can't stress that enough. And also because I need to hear it too. I'm not, you know, you're not at it alone. I am right there with you learning, um, making, you know, trying to make myself better with our finances. I'm right there with you. So you're definitely not alone. Now I just want to just recap the main points of the show. We talked about the story about the great job offer she received, why she turned it down, and how it really went back to her upbringing. We also talked about the different stages of human development, which she goes into detail, a lot of detail, all of them in the book and why it should matter to you. We also talked about the long-term impact that cross-country trip she had with her son and husband had and what she learned from it and she also defines so beautifully her definition of radical abundance and how we can benefit from it, which I just spoke about in my little um, aha moment there. That is it for today. Next week, we will talk to Cindy Liv who is a frugal living and money saving expert. It's going to be a fun episode. So stay tuned for that in episode 107. I want to thank Sharon for joining us, for bringing a lot of golden nuggets today, uh, sharing her story. You can check out the show notes on where to find Sharon over at jenhempel.com forward slash 106. You will find the links to the, the link to the book. And all that and the sh- a recap of the episode as well. So also if this episode made a difference for you, if you completely love this episode, be sure to share this episode uh, or any of the episodes for that matter, uh, as it is definitely helpful. Uh, to get the word out on this podcast and you can share it super simply there should be uh, if you're listening to this uh, via your mobile phone there uh, should be some dots where it shows you where to share and you can share it via text via email however you want to share a social media however what's whatever you think is best So thanks again so much for tuning in, for listening to this podcast. You are actually just the best listeners that I have. I can't be more grateful uh, for you. And I will talk to you next Thursday.